Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. You're listening to Linux in the Ham Shack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Oh, hello everybody and welcome to episode number 259 of Linux in the Ham Shack. This is our deep dive episode. And we have a good one today. We have an interview with one of the folks from this Satnogs project, and we'll be getting into that in just a second. But introductions, I'm Russ, K5TUX. Cheryl is not with us tonight. <laughs> I was about to say, <laughs> I was wondering. <laughs> nope, she's not with us tonight, but Bill is. Yep, and I'm Bill, NE4RD. And our special guest, all the way from somewhere in Greece, I didn't bother to find out where just yet, but we'll ask, uh, we have Pieros SV1QVE. Hey. Good. Hey, everyone. <laughs> I would say good evening, but it's only evening for you. <laughs> yes. Yep. It'll be evening for us here. So what part of Greece are you in? Are you in Athens or are you in some other place? Uh, right now, uh, southern Greece, um, Kalamata is the name of the place. Oh, where the olives come from? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly that place. <laughs> <laughs> All right, very good. Maybe we should just talk about olives. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, we won't do that. What we will talk about is the Satnox project, which is a pretty diverse project. There are several parts to it, um, and they're all integrated into a network of things and there's a diagram that i was looking at earlier which is very big and very convoluted and i'm hoping you'll be able to straighten us out and all the parts of it and tell us everything about sure. the project um so i did see that it got started in 2014 um on a challenge i think of some kind uh so maybe you can talk yeah. a little bit so, about the origins that was early 2014 uh and uh, nasa runs this um um Every every year, the NASA Space App Challenge, uh, which is basically announcing like um, forty to fifty different challenges, and uh, is asking for solutions for those challenges uh, in the form of a hackathon that happens uh, concurrently in many different locations around the world. So that's the Space App Challenge, um, and the solutions are um, all to be open source. So this was something that we naturally were uh, drawn into, and. Uh, um, followed and we hosted the Space Up Challenge uh, consecutively for many years uh, since 2012, if I recall correctly, on the local hackerspace uh, in, in Athens, Greece. That's hackerspace.gr, uh, where many uh, people from diverse technological backgrounds meet and create projects, basically, and all of them uh, in an open source uh, way uh, software, hardware, mechanics, uh, and data. 
Um, and um, yeah, back in the day, like in 2014, one of the challenges was to create a, a ground station uh, for satellite communications. Um, and there has not been an open source ground station up until that point. Um, and the, we started over a weekend, basically. Uh, we had 48 hours, no sleep, uh, just continuously hiking around uh, the concept of a ground station. And that included many different parts, right? So for a satellite ground station, you need uh, the antennas themselves. Um, you need also the rotator uh, that will be pointing the antennas towards the satellite as the satellite uh, crosses above the sky. Um, then the RF reception electronics, um, we opted for even uh, early on for an SDR-based solution, uh, so software-defined radio. Um, and then any software pieces around it, right? So we had to create a... Um, um, a working prototype within 48 hours, and that's what we did. After uh, 3D printed uh, with gears and the rotator and super simple antenna designs, like some, some Yagi uh, type of antennas for VHF and UHF. Um, and then, yeah, popped in an RTL-SDR in there and uh, tried to gather some signals uh, from, from satellites. So that, that was the... Uh, 48 hour start of the project basically which grew to become uh, as you said uh, um, uh, modular big um, uh, system with multiple different pieces moving around which um, i'm glad um, that we have the chance to, to explain and go through uh, throughout this episode yes and we're definitely going to go through that so i understand it and hopefully if i understand it then everyone else will understand it as well so the initial satellite ground station, this is just a single installation of someone who has a computer and an antenna and a rotator and some software in order to receive satellite signals. Am I getting that correct? Yep. Yep. That, that would be, that would be the concept. And, um, um the, for us, it was it was really critical to to get to the point of uh, actually receiving some some signals, so that we can then iterate upon it and just try to simplify as much as possible the setup, right? And one of the things that we would like to try out that we've seen people doing uh, out in the wild that we haven't really um, tested yet at that point was is the rotator um, absolutely mandatory to receive satellite signals, right? And the answer is no. Uh, and we know that now uh, through all the different stations that we have, which are not necessarily with the rotator setup, um, which um, enabled us to get to the point of um, saying that um, we could have many cheap, easy to build uh, ground stations around the world, basically. Um, and that uh, early on, uh, together with the fact that uh, we opted in for a design, a DIY design, uh, a rotator, which is 3D printed, easy easy to build, super cheap, uh, and uh, get people with access to a local hackerspace or uh, um, some, some basic tools to, to create their own rotators. Like those two factors, um, um, just created the idea of uh, what if we had a network of ground stations, right? Like what if we could have as many ground stations around the world as possible and then connect them somehow in a central way uh, in, uh, in a project that we now call the network, basically network.satmox.org um, and try to, um, yeah, uh, deduplicate um, observation times and spread as much observations around the world and capture as many data from various different satellites uh, and communicate with them. So there is also the reception piece is a you know big piece of satellite, but there is also the transmission, piece, which is uh, critical for us, especially moving forward. All right, so let's touch a little bit about the network uh, right off the bat because that seems to be the the central point of the network, and actually, it's in the name of the group. <laughs> um, so. <clears throat> If you have a um, a linked 
set of satellite ground stations, which you do. And actually, you can look at a map on your website of all of the, the linked networks. Um, what what would be the purpose of that? I mean, why would you want to group all of these satellite uh, receivers together in, in a network? So, yeah, taking a, a step back on that, like discussing a bit um, about the situation of the satellites right now. Um, so apart from the um, almost a dozen radiometer satellites uh, that are up there with transponders that radiometers can use, there are also hundreds of uh, CubeSats, most of them um, uh, with um, frequencies operating um, uh, on the radiometer bands on, on VHF, UHF, S-band, and, and even beyond. Uh, and almost all of them, um, uh, especially up until recently, have been some, somehow experimental or driven or non-profit or agencies trying to, to send out uh, experiments and um, play around with the, uh, with the platform of uh, most, mostly CubeSat. So CubeSat is a, a form of a satellite, a 10 by 10 by 10 uh, centimeter. Um, uh, and then you can multiply multiple uh, use, uh, units, basically, which is a 10 by 10 by 10, and have like bigger satellites. Uh, but this, basically, this is a standardized way to, to, to create a satellite, right? And you can find uh, commercial and off-the-self components um, and uh, ourselves as a group, a Libre Space Foundation that uh, created uh, Satnox. We're also active in that area, but we can talk about that more uh, later. So the concept of the, uh, the network and why we would like to have like as many ground stations connected around the world is that uh, there are so many different satellites out there and most of the times ground stations um, are not automated in the way that they have those observations be done, which means that we have a lot of um, unused time basically uh, on, on ground stations. So many times if you're a radio amateur um, and you have your ground station connected uh, with some, some piece of software, um, most probably, and I hope that you do that on your manual operations, like with Zpredict, um, or any other software that can, do, uh, uh, can work with your rotator, then you do that manually while the pass is happening. And then, you know, like for the rest of the day, the rotator stands as it is. Same goes for if you are a university team and you, you build a CubeSat and a satellite and you launched it in space and you're using it for your own satellite, track your own satellite, right? But other than that, most of the times, like the, your, your rotator stands, stands there. So the, the notion of getting all those ground stations connected um, network is to be able to utilize them as much as possible. So um, we're targeting... Um, especially with some uh, new functionality that we're introducing soon on the network. Uh, we're targeting on 100% uh, uh, utilization of, of ground stations, um, but uh, also uh, would like to be considered around that, uh, given that uh, most rotators, especially the commercial ones, were not uh, built um, for 100% utilization. Uh, so that, that, that will be ground station um, owner selectable. So basically the ground station owners can, can say that uh, like my ground station be utilized up for X uh, percent of the time. Um, and yeah, so get, gathering and getting as much um, uh, observation time from both those different satellites basically means that the satellites don't um, uh, have to, especially the satellite teams, right? Like they don't have to wait for their time of the day to get a good pass of the satellite, uh, depending on the orbit, right? That, that can happen like once or twice every two days. Um, 
um, that they can get uh, almost real-time data uh, from multiple different ground stations uh, around the world. Um, and an additional thing that we are starting to seeing now that we have a deployed ground station network and people can use it is that uh, sometimes in missions, that means that there is a change uh, in the mission design itself. That happens because um, traditionally you would expect that you have like one or two if you have a collaborative, uh, collaborating uh, ground station around the world. Um, um, so you'd have one or two per mission uh, if you're a mission designer. And then you would try to optimize for the downlink that you want uh, and the bandwidth that you want and the data that you want to pass from the satellite down to, to Earth. You try to optimize for that amount of time, right? Like that would be like most of the time something like and minutes per day, you know, max 20 minutes per day if you have a second ground station. But if you take into account that, oh, now that we have Satnox, we have multiple ground stations around the world, then that changes the perspective of um, designing uh, for continuous operations, basically continuous transmission and reception around your satellite. Um, so that um, in hand, like, changes the, the, the mission itself. Um, so, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so I was going to ask you to define the word utilization in the way you were using it, but I think you may have just done that. Is that in the sense that these the network can allow someone to actually see a satellite basically 24 hours a day? Is that purely from a reception standpoint, or are you talking about from a transmit standpoint too, like remote operation of a satellite that way? Yeah, so for now through the network, that's only for reception. We're working on a way to um, actually. There are two different software pieces in, involved in that, right? So there's the network itself, and then we have the client, Satnox client, which runs locally on the ground station itself, and it could run on Raspberry Pi. That's our reference setup, by the way, on a Raspbian image, custom image that we built, or it could be on a you know your regular desktop. Uh, it's a set of software uh, tools. Uh, so we have in there like a Python instrumentation, which is Satnox client, and then radio-based uh, radio receivers and then flow graphs uh, and some glue around those pieces. But uh, yeah, so that's the client side. And the network side is uh, sitting on a server uh, centrally. So the the concept of the utilization right now is around the reception, right? So the network basically creates a list of jobs uh, for, uh, we call them observations, uh, for, uh, different, for all those different stations. Um, and then the, the client, what it does is that every once in a while, asks the network, hey, do I have a job? Like, do, do I have something to do? Uh, and that includes, like, the vital um, elements of the satellite so that the client knows where to point the antennas, basically. The frequency that it's going to be uh, using to, to tune the SDR and, and start um, the uh, reception, uh, but also the uh, modulation um, uh, characteristics. So... So that it knows which flow graph on GNU radio will be spawning. Uh, so which demodulator uh, the system will be using to start demodulating the signal. Um, and, and that, for its observation, that produces um, three set of things. Um, so um, three different things. Uh, the one is the optical uh, waterfall, so an FF basically, um, that you are able to, to see and check the signal and what happened during the pass. Uh, that would be on the x-axis, uh, you would have a different frequency, and then the y-axis, you have the time over time. Uh, and then, you know, like it's a typical waterfall, so I don't have to explain that more in this audience, I guess. Um, yeah, so uh, the second uh, type of result is the audio. 
Um, so for most, not most, but for, for many modulations, it makes sense to also have audio. I mean, apart from the obvious ones, if you have like a narrow FM, right? Like from ISS uh, transmissions or other uh, satellites and transponders uh, with transponders like Oscar satellites and those things, like we record FM audio, right? So we also um, encode the audio to OGG uh, and then Ogvorbis, uh, basically, and then uh, we upload it back to the network too. And then the third result is that <clears throat> depending on the, uh, the modulator, you could have also decoded, uh, sorry, demoded uh, data. And that would be binary um, um, modulated data from the satellite itself and uh, from many different modulations, right? So it's uh, the FSKs uh, on 9600, uh, PSKs, uh, CW, you know, you, you name it. Like, And we're expanding this list um, as we go uh, more and more. Um, so these three sets of things um, uh, get to be uploaded back uh, into the network. And that constitutes an observation by itself, right? With an end time and which um, um, ground station um, uh, did that. Uh, now, on, on the transmission side, uh, things are uh, a bit trickier, not so much on the technology side, but um, rather on the legal uh, aspect of it, right? So um, we operated on a global scale, um, the, the Satnox network. So we have to, to take into account like local jurisdictions, right? Um, around um, and local legislation around um, uh, transmission and especially remote type of uh, operations and transmissions. In, in some countries, this is not at all possible, uh, uh, given their diameter uh, um, legislation. Um, and in some other cities, but it have to go through different hoops, right? Like uh, disclaimers, special licenses, and uh, those kind of things, uh, waivers, and, uh, and such sorts. Um, so yeah, we're, we're careful on, on, on the way that we're going to be uh, implementing it uh, for now. So the way that it works up until now is basically that can happen only locally. So the client itself has a web interface. So a local person operating there can check this uh, interface and spin up a flow graph that would uh, enable them to transmit something um, um, or take over the RF transmission line and just run the, radio, the um, uh, rotator, um, the pointing, if there is a rotator, and the Doppler uh, correction uh, and just use a regular transceiver to uh, to transmit like you would do on a on a normal local operation uh, for um, ground station, um, but yeah, we're uh, really excited to uh, to get to tackle the in a global scale the transmission uh, piece, uh, which by the way on the satellite world we call telecommand and control. That's um, the lingo around it on the space industry. All right, so that that's excellent, and so I guess we'll focus on the receive part since the, the transmit part, the telecommand part, is is still in progress. But uh, maybe you can outline the component pieces of a ground station to start with, and then we can uh, move into how you get them networked together. So, so what are the parts of a ground station? Okay, so including the physical ones, right? Not not only the software. <clears throat> that's correct yeah the whole the whole thing what what comprises a ground station for that you would uh insert into the network yep so um i'll start with the uh, i would say the simplest form of a rotator setup um and you can mix and match on different setups but um yeah the the 
the reference setup that we have for a rotator uh, ground station is that you, you start with the antennas and depending on the bands that you want to to use, that could be, uh, we, we generally go for uh, circularized, uh, circular polarized um, antennas. So that could be um, X-quads, cross-yagis, helicals, uh, um, yeah, those those kind of um, antennas, basically. And that would be on VHF, UHF, uh, L-band, S-band, or, or even higher up. Well, higher than S-band, you, you have to move to, to a dish uh, setup, which we also do in some ground stations. Um, so, yeah, once you choose that, uh, and the choice is based on which satellites you want to listen and what capabilities you have on your software-defined radio, uh, basically. Uh, and, and, of course, what your rotator uh, has capacity on uh, moving around, uh, you get your antennas, right? So then from uh, the antenna piece uh, through some coaxial cable, you run it probably most of the times through a, a low noise amplifier um, in order to incre increase the signal to noise ratio. Um, and then that ends up uh, in a software defined radio. So our Setup um, specifically requires software-defined radio as it is right now. Uh, we've been getting uh, requests on also using uh, a transceiver uh, setup, like a hardware, you know, regular radio transceiver. Um, the, given the, the the price that uh, really good SDRs are going for right now, and the uh, exquisite amount of uh, flexibility that can provide for uh, working on different uh, frequencies and different um, uh, modulations and um, and their capabilities, uh, we're just opting in for uh, just uh, SDR setups. So you have your SDR, right? Um, and uh, we like in there the choice is basically a budget one uh so you can start like really low with 20 bucks like an rtl sdr um one of the fortified ones right like the ones that they have the tcxos and uh are are much nicer than the regular <laughs> original rtl sdrs uh, and then you can <laughs> move your way up uh to even sdrs with transmit capability right um and we currently support many different models and we're working on uh, um uh, support with a SOPI library um, so that we can support pretty much any SDR uh, out there. Uh, because right now we're based on GR Osmo SDR, uh, which has its, its, its issues with uh, drivers uh, on, on some newer uh, kind of uh, SDRs, like the Lime SDR. Um, so, yeah, so you move to the SDR. So we started with antennas, running probably through LNA, and then uh, your SDR, right? And then your SDR uh, gets to be interfaced through USB uh, almost all the times um, to a reference setup would say a single board computer, right? Um, so that would be a Raspberry Pi running a, a custom image uh, that we build uh, every once in a while um, that has all the software uh, bundled together um, on top of Raspbian. Um, and yeah, the, the pieces in there is, the, of course, the GNU radio piece, uh, which is what controls the SDR. And uh, we have the modulators uh, uh, written on that uh, as different flow graphs, as we call them on, on uh, the GNU radio ecosystem. Um, and that produces the different results that we just covered, like the three different results, basically. Um, and then... The two, the two different pieces of software inside the, the, the Raspberry image is basically that side, which we call the, the SDR side, which is the radio side, basically, uh, which is called the GR uh, Satnux. And GR is the 
uh, nomenclature uh, of uh, GNU radio of the three modules, like GNU radio modules, basically. Um, so GR Satnox, and that uh, gets to be controlled uh, and supplies information back and forth with uh, um, Satnox client, which is a set of Python uh, instrumentation that uh, facilitates uh, the local operations of the observation, right? Um, in the case that we have a rotator, uh, you could imagine that those are two separate lines there, two separate ways. So there's um, the, the things that are happening on the RF side, which we just described, all the way down to the Satnox client, which will send the data through network back uh, through internet back to network.satnox.org. And then there is a, another side, which is the rotator control side, right? So the Satnox client, once it kicks in an observation, it starts the radio side, which is the GNU radio that we just described uh, side. And then in parallel, it also kicks in uh, through Hamlib, the control uh, from ROD control, uh, the Hamlib library, uh, controlling the uh, whichever uh, rotator you're using. Uh, in a reference setup, that would be our own rotator, the Satnox rotator, which now is on version 3.1. That's an open hardware rotator, by the way, together with the electronics. Uh, so there's a mechanical design and the electronic design for uh, that rotator too, available for everyone to see and contribute, hopefully, back to it. Um, so, yeah, so the radio control side and then the rotator control side, and that all together gets to be orchestrated, but the Satnox client, and then once the results uh, are back, everything gets to be sent over the internet to, to network.satnox.org. Okay, so I'm getting from this that at a, at a local installation, at a ground station, you would have um, some sort of single-board computer. I see on the chart you have Odroid U3, and you also mentioned Raspberry Pi. So you would have some sort of, local interface that you could get into and see the operation of the the local ground station as it were and then there's the network piece so you take all of that including your rotator and if you if you're using the satnox rotator i assume that's where the arduino is that's the controls the stepper motors and everything yep yep that would be the electronic side of the rotator all right. Uh, you also have the facility, at least in the diagram that I'm seeing for GPS, that just to locate the ground station. Yeah, uh, although we don't really use it right now, like that's based on GPSD. But uh, since most of the setups are uh, the <laughs> absolute majority of the setups uh, uh, is not uh, a moving ground station, so it doesn't require updating that <laughs> that information that often. Uh, we just punch it once, and uh, we never really use uh, GPS for any other reason for it. Okay, um, so so that is the self-contained ground station. Like you say, most of them, there'll be like a permanent installation, so you'll always know where it is. But you could technically have it in a car or something if you wanted to, although I'm not sure there's any real <laughs> uh, reason to do that. But then you can also pass that information to the SatNogs network, and there is a network piece, which I'll let you go ahead and describe now, how you connect the ground station to the network. But does this also mean that, like, you'll have that same sort of client interface wherever you happen to be, whether you're at the local ground station or not? So the interface that we have right now, it's a web interface that um, runs locally on, let's say, your Raspberry, right? Like your, your local host computer, basically, that runs the ground station. Um, so th that's something that we are revamping right now. We're, we're trying to abstract it as much as possible. Uh, it used to be part of the core Satnox client, uh, and now we're just going to make it a different package uh, so that we can expose an API, a local API for the, uh, the ground station uh, itself. Uh, 
so that uh, we can have things like a mobile application to working, right? Or uh, gathering all this information, uh, you know, back to the network or controlling multiple stations at once. So we're trying to abstract that piece. Uh, but up until now, it's basically a single web interface that runs locally. Now, if you choose to expo expose that over the internet, obviously you can do that, right? Um, but the purpose of it is basically to, uh, for the ground station owner, Self, like to see what's happening, like what are the next jobs and everything else. Now, this information is also available on the network side. So, um, most of the times, like for um, so many times, um, we don't have like if you are a ground station owner, uh, you don't necessarily have to um, you know look at your ground station all the time. Like you can just see on the network what's happening, schedule new observations, see the results and everything. So. You don't even have to go back to you know check your uh, your ground station locally, especially if it's a non-rotator setup uh, and it's a non-directional antenna. Um, then it makes it much easier in terms of maintenance too, right? So you can just leave it someplace, get all the observations while they're happening, and only deal with it uh, you know uh, circumstantially, especially when we have new versions and those kind of things that you need to go in and update and um, and fix uh, if there are any, any issues. Okay, so I, I definitely understand the way this is all put together from the specifics of a ground station installation, but maybe we can look at it since we're trying to address the integration of the client pieces with the network piece. Maybe look at this from the perspective of a satellite owner or someone who wants to keep track of a satellite through the network. Um, so how does how does how do you integrate? connecting the ground stations to, for example, see the entire pass of a satellite around the world. Is there some authentication piece where people are allowed to connect to different ground stations to get that information? Is it all dumped into a centralized location that someone can pick out? Is, you know, is the information open or is, or yeah. is it restricted in some way? Or maybe you can sort of talk about that. Yeah. So, um, the concept is that, well, first of um, all the frequencies that we're monitoring right now are um, openly monitored frequencies. So that includes the radio amateur bands and ISMs uh, or, or things that we can, you know, publicly uh, easily get information uh, about them. Um, or we wish that we could easily get information about them because um, as we found out when we created the project, it was that um, most of the times um, when there is a new satellite that's even operating on radio amateur band, there is not a central way for someone to know um, or an updated way for someone to know where are those uh, satellite frequencies, like which frequency the satellite is uh, um, uh, transmitting or receiving transmissions. Uh, and even beyond that, um, what is the modulation uh, that is using? What is the encoding that uh, is used on specific transceiver or, or transmitter? So that was really crucial information that was missing most of the times, right? Um, that's why we created a sub-project of Satnox, which we call tb.satnox.org. So that's the Satnox database, basically. That includes all this information crowdsourced. So people can come in and suggest that, hey, I've seen this article or I'm part of this mission. I know what's happening here, what frequency, what modulation, what encoding, right? Um, so that's where most of the time satellite operators come in. Come, come in. Um, now, uh, from a network perspective, um, the, the concept is that you have all those different observations, right? And those are right now done in a manual way, and we're moving towards completely automating this process. And by manual, I mean they're observers, like people that their 
daily habit is to go in network.satnox.org, start scheduling different observations um, um, on different ground stations around the world. So I want to follow this satellite on X you know, location and Y location from this time frame to that time frame. And then the network responds with you know possible observations and you start scheduling those kind of things, right? And then the results start uh, putting in uh, back, to, back to the network. Um, so if you're a satellite operator, um, the way that the network works right now is that you need to have an operational ground station in order to be able to schedule observations. But nevertheless, we, we do follow specific uh, um, uh, satellites all the time because they're interesting, because we're working with those teams, or because they already have a ground station that would need help with, you know, with tracking uh, a satellite. Um, so um, from the satellite uh, operator uh, standpoint, uh, you either work with us, uh, with the community of Satnox, and say that uh, I need you know, information from this kind of thing, and I need all the different passes. Uh, all the data that we, uh, we're gathering, uh, this triplet of data that I just explained, like the waterfall, the audio, and the, the modulated uh, information, um, binary most of the times, um, we are uh, releasing back as Creative Commons uh, attribution Sarah-like data uh, publicly through the API of network, uh, .org, um so that people can just uh, hit the API and start uh, getting the, um, their um, data from all those different observations. Um, now, that happens on the network level, right? And uh, the uh, data on the network level uh, goes all the way to basically the binary format of it, right? But um, that's usable uh, for most of the teams because they have their own ways to transform this binary information to their own, you know, consumable graphs and um, observations and things that they want to know about the mission themselves, uh, dashboards and everything else, but not to so much for the rest of the world. So another part of the process and which we would like to include as many uh, satellite operators, and recently we've been having some some great success around it, um, is that we want to be able to provide those teams, those satellite operators, the opportunity for them to share the encodings uh, that they're using um, for those binary structures that they're transmitting, so that then we create centrally uh, on a place that we call data warehouse, uh, on, on Satnox, uh, which already have a dev instance up and running right now, um, and create uh, usable graphs for their missions. So start crunching the data, basically, uh, whenever they come in and just uh, get those uh, um, information uh, through graphs and visualizations on mission-specific uh, um, attributes, right? So that could be uh, from operational type of things, because most of the, uh, the, the transmissions that we're collecting uh, is telemetry, um, from various satellites uh, and sometimes payloads also, um, like payload scientific data. Um, so that could be information like um, voltage on a specific degree or that you're on a specific part of your satellite or you're pointing uh, at that given point or satellite like sun fluxes and um, charging rates of your batteries through your solar panels, you know, those kind of things. Like those are minimums basically of uh, telemetry uh, for the satellite mission, and then you can extend all the way up to actual images, right? Like your payload, what is producing, uh, so you can see them and monitoring them. Um, so yeah, and all along this process, uh, starting from um, 
uh, information that we get back from the network that gets to be transferred into the database, which gets to be decoded uh, and then consumed by graphs. Uh, we provide different APIs so that people can plug in in different parts uh, of this process, even if they're not using satellite, um, sorry, if they're not using Satnox ground stations. So we have multiple users that are now manually uh, demodulating passes uh, from different satellites, and it's just supplying the binary results back to db.satnox.org so that then we can uh, uh, amend it with information that we have from network.satnox.org and produce those graphs, right? So modularity is a key piece for Satnox. We didn't want to create a, um, a world ecosystem. We'd like to um, tap into and get all, all those connections in place, like from multiple different parts, and for someone to be able to, to say that I want to use this and that part of the ecosystem, not necessarily default to a vertical usage of, you know, you're either Satnox or you're not. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> All right, fantastic. I think I understood most of that. Um, so let's let's um, uh, there's a there's a a point or a, a an icon on the chart uh, called the global management network. Um, maybe you can talk a little bit about what that is. Is it's it's uh, apparently at the very top of the hierarchy in managing Satnog's network. So so to, to find the global management network, that that would be network.satnogs.org. That would be the network. You're probably seeing an old version of the graph where uh, words around things were a bit different from the terminology that we're using right now. But uh, yeah, that, that, that <laughs> okay. would be the network. So network.satnox.org, if you, you know, navigate to the website, that would be it. All right. So that is that the clearinghouse for information? Like if somebody wants to see the information that's contained in the network, you go there and you get the information if you're not using an API call in your own software or something like that, correct? Yeah. So that would be for the observations level. So if you go on network.org and you click on the observations tab, uh, then you can filter that with specific, you know, say you know, you want information for a specific satellite. So let's say a NOAA one, uh, so we can see pictures from space, right? So, and then you click on updating the filter uh, and then you can start seeing the results basically, right? Um, and if you click on one of those observations, you'll see uh, um, one of the results is basically a picture, you know, from uh, from a NOAA satellite as it was transmitted using APT. Um, yeah, so that, that's the one level of consumption of this information, right? And then there's the other level, which is the more decoded graph type visualization type of level, which we provide through the dashboards that I just explained. Um, and right now you can see that, uh, although it's in, in, a, in a beta phase, but if you click on uh, dashboard um, dashev, dot uh, satnox.org so dashboard dashdev dot um, satnox.org um, that's where we can see data which is aggregated basically from multiple ground stations not only satnox ones uh, and uh, we are producing graphs uh, for specific missions all right so all of this information is dumped into the database project i assume yeah. you uh, obviously would have a fairly extensive database so can you just quickly like don't get too deep into it, I guess, but uh, d describe how your database is set up. Like, what are you using? What technology? Yeah, so for um, the DB level, uh, those are basically files because they're coming in as files most of the time. Um, then those get to be decoded uh, and stored in a, uh, used to be MariaDB uh, 
will be Postgre uh, pretty soon. Um, and then from there, they get to be pushed into an InfluxDB for the time series database. Um, and then from the InfluxDB, they get to be consumed uh, from a Grafana uh, dashboard, uh, which basically visualizes what we see. All right, excellent. And I'm not going to start a holy war about uh, MySQL versus Postgres. So, um, <laughs> I, I was I was thinking I was going to ask why the migration from one to the other, and um, but I, that is just going to be a bad thing. So I'm not going to do that. Um, let's see. Uh, so we've talked about um, I think most of the different parts of Satnogs, the ground station uh, as an individual setup, how you link them together, the client that is uh, on top of the ground station, the database where you store all the the information that you receive from the satellites, whether it be telemetry data or actual data or waterfall information or or whatever it is you're, you're gathering. Uh, and then, of course, the network that links all that stuff together. And the network has, um, you know, a nice map where you can see different ground stations and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's see. That was the integration of the parts. Uh, there are there are lots of different open source uh, facets to this. I gather that uh, a lot of this is written in Python. Is, is that what I got from the the chart? Yeah. So we, in terms of languages, uh, so the web pieces are um, Python uh, based, so Django based. Um, then we have JavaScript. Then we have um, on the Satnox client we have Python. Then on the GNU radio side we have C plus plus. Um, so yeah, there are a multitude uh, of things um, in terms of the technology that we're using. So Satnox is right now, uh, I would say more than 25 repositories. Uh, so different sub projects um, with contributors uh, to them. Um, yeah, but most of them, I would say for software pieces, uh, that would be Python and C++. All right. And there's lots of uh, hardware that's used in the open source world. I've been talking about single board computers like Raspberry Pis and Odroids. You've got uh, Hamlib, which is for a rig control and rotator control. Um, you've got Arduino, which a lot of open source projects are based on. So I, I know you talked about when you first started the project, you wanted the whole thing to be open, and it certainly uh, has gone that way. You've got all this open technology, and, and you've actually published the open the schematics and the specs on how to, to build your own rotator and all that. So the entire project is open, which is a great thing. Yep. Um, so let's let's jump back to you real quick, um, and then I'll let Bill ask a question if he's if he's formulated any at this point, but. Oh, so yeah. you're you're listed as the product and program management uh, person on the website for Satnox. So what does that involve? So uh, basically overseeing the um, different parts of the project, making sure that um, everything um, gets to be phased in the way that it should be. Uh, where the developers that we have and where the contributors, the uh, volunteer contributors are going to be working on, what's priority and what's not, uh, what's the overall um, um, timeline and milestones that we're setting in order to hit the goals that we want to hit. Um, and yeah, um, managing all those pieces for uh, the variety of different projects on, on the Satnox um, ecosystem. All right. So you have daily strains on your sanity, though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> all right. So, Bill, go ahead. You can ask some questions now. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this is 
great, great information. So let's say, let's say you're ready to, uh, to start contributing. You've built your ground station. You've got the everything set up. I see here you have the ability to run your station in, uh, in a testing mode. I'm assuming that's, uh, that's to both, uh, is that, is that for two way for like just not only the operator to test, but also the network to evaluate the, uh, the actual data and reliability of the data that's going to be eventually turned into an online, I guess, mode in the uh, ground station? Yeah, the concept of the testing mode is basically you start with the testing mode and then you opt in to a regular online uh, ground station. And uh, testing signals uh, to the network and to the rest of the observers and ground station uh, operators that your uh, ground station is still kind of under development, right? Like you you want to test, you know, the gains of the antennas and, you know, the setup and everything else uh, that, that you're doing. And it also includes uh, a couple of features like, um, for example, uh, the observations that are happening during testing period are not counting against your statistics uh, for your ground station. Um, but also, it doesn't allow other ground station owners to schedule things on your own ground station. So it can only be you while you're on testing or any admins. But of course, after coordinating that with you, uh, they wouldn't want to just jump in and uh, do such a thing. Um, so yeah, so yeah, a couple of features and also like a signal to the rest of the world that this is under development. Right. Now, is there any type of evaluation from the network standpoint before someone's allowed to turn their station online? Not really. Um, not a hard-coded one. Like we, we have a core team of observers, uh, which are constantly monitoring uh, semi-automatically because we also have um, you know flags and notifications that are happening and we would like to amend them more basically as we as we go um, but yeah this core team of observers would be going in and checking when a new ground station became online you know if that's the right you know they're ready uh, so to to do so um, and most of the times it actually uh, goes the other way around um, uh, so our experience have shown that uh, people, you know, um, are kind of like perfectionists for their ground stations. So what they do is that they just leave it on on testing mode, saying, "Well, I don't think I'm ready yet," and blah blah. blah. And then you, we just have to go in and say, "Hey, like, really, those are fantastic results that you're giving. So turn it on as online because this is useful for the rest of the community, right?" So, um, and that's that's great. It also gives us the opportunity to touch base with them and uh, get this uh, community engagement piece uh, that we really uh want um uh, to be central on on our community yeah that's that's really really cool and uh, i really like the the interface trying to dig down and you can kind of dig down into individual passes individual uh, satellites and you're collecting a a lot of data here <laughs> yeah <laughs> so you're uh, yeah, 283 satellites uh 521 transmitters and uh you got about 24 million uh, uh, data points. <laughs> yeah, uh, and the ground stations, uh, so if you take into account the online and testing ones on network plus the dev instance, we I think we crossed the 100 ground station marks uh, mark. Uh, and then we, uh, we have something like um, um, almost in total like 400,000 observations. Um, that have happened um, over the past, uh, basically, I would say two years. Before that, you know, it was heavily into alpha development. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, and uh, the uh, scale of operations, like in, in terms of the pace, um, the daily rate of obse- observations, uh, we have uh, almost uh, 1,500, um, so 1.5 um, uh, observations per day happening on the network. 
and this just keeps growing. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, just kind of crossing back onto uh, one of our earlier shows, we had uh, Michelle Thompson here from the Open Research Institute. Yep, great. And of course, great they're doing their yeah, the, yeah, they're doing the ground uh, phase four ground station. So, is there any cross pollination between Satnogs and the ORI? Yeah, yeah. So, Libre Space Foundation uh, is um, the organization behind Satnogs. Uh, is working closely with ORI, uh, not only for the phase four uh, project and trying to find some um, uh, good synergy points uh, for reutilization of an expansion of Satnogs, and uh, but also working together with them on more um, um, on the SDR side of things, um, so that we can uh, deduplicate much of the work that uh, is needed towards the direction that we both. Uh, which is uh, more open data and open technologies uh, from space and to space. Um, so, yeah, there's um, a lot of synergies that are uh, forming up there. Yeah, that's 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 great to hear. <laughs> um, I, that's all I really have for uh, for specific questions there, uh, Russ. All right, cool. I, I wanted to come back to something that I've been thinking about this whole time. And when you're talking about the ability to kind of have uh, – all of these ground stations monitoring satellites as they pass over and trying to create uh, a, a network of, of pass information, basically. Is there ever a point where there's a conflict, like there's a, there's a ground station that's somewhere out in the middle of nowhere and not really near any of the other ones, and there are two satellites passing over that, that people are wanting to request information from? Is there some way to, uh, like, check for that and maybe uh offload the information to another one is it is it creating like a mesh is there some way to like deduplicate information or um yeah make sure that something sees what it's supposed to see and there's no conflict yeah so it's definitely happening uh it, it happened from day one and will keep happening uh, unless we we grow to uh, to a much larger scale, basically, in terms of the amount of ground stations that we're going to be having around the world. Um, and the, the way that it goes right now, it's, a, it's a practically a first-come, first-served uh, um, strategy. So if you schedule an observation, then uh, no other observer can you know, schedule on, on top of it. That said, the ground station owner can delete it and put something else. And of course, the admins, um, after coordination with uh, involving parties, can do the same thing, right? Um, and that's the standing um, 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 way that we're working. Now, moving towards the completely automated setup of observations, uh, which is happening soon, that's under development. Um, the, the way that it will go is that basically it's going station will have its own prioritized list of satellites um, so that if you're a ground station owner, you would say that I would I always want to um, you know, capture ISS you know, voice passes in the hopes of capturing an Iris event or, or whatever else uh, would be happening from there. Um, so that would have absolute priority basically. And then um, if um, there is a pass which is not uh, into the prioritized list of the um, uh, of the station itself, then there would be a, a broader uh, prioritization in terms of uh, last heard, uh, the duplication of close ground stations to each other, um, and that kind of uh, conflict resolution, um, you know, uh, on a network level, uh, basically that we can utilize as much as possible um, the resources that we have on the ground stations. That's, uh, you know, the, the trajectory for development uh, for now right now. 
All right. Well, that, that actually sounds like a perfect solution and a prioritization hierarchy obviously would work out best in an automated environment. So, um, you've mentioned, uh, Libre.space, the Libre.space foundation. Yep. Um, a couple of times. So do you want to give a little bit of an outline about that? I know it's the sort of parent, uh, organization over sat dogs, but what else is it? Yeah, so Libre Space Foundation was uh, founded uh, by the creators of Satnox back in the day. So it's been four years now. Um, and um, this is a non-profit uh, foundation based out of Greece. Uh, the mission is to create uh, open source technologies. That would be software, hardware, electronics, data, and and anything else in between for space uh, and for space technologies. Um, and that includes space communications, spacecrafts themselves, like satellites, uh, educational um, outreach, policy making around uh, openness and, and space. Um, and Satnux is the uh, primary uh, project of the foundation, um, kind of like the flagship project of the foundation. But we also uh, are active on uh, different parts of the space ecosystem, if you, if you wish. Um, and that would be with the creation of uh, UPSAT. That was the first uh, open source satellite uh, that was created. Uh, we designed it from scratch, hardware, electronics, software, integration with Satnox, obviously, uh, launched in space from the ISS. Uh, that happened a year and a half ago. And it's going to be decaying and coming back at us as a flaming uh, fireball next week, actually, uh, as predictions uh, <laughs> So uh, for now. So, yeah, we've been acting also in the what we call upstream section of uh, the space industry, which is creating you know technologies for space, right? Um, after UPSAT, after the first satellite, um, we also uh, created a, a family, um, and that's what we're developing right now, uh, of um, transceiver boards that could work in space, like what we call communication boards in space, uh, and in a smaller uh, format, uh, a format factor, um, which would be five by five centimeters, so even smaller than the cubes at once, which are ten by ten by ten. Um, and that's what we call pocket cubes, basically. So we've been active around this ecosystem too, trying to bring, bring again openness uh, around it, open hardware and open software. Um, and then uh, we also have like telemetry boards for you know we've been active around the rocketry. Uh, Amateur uh, um, rocketry and uh, radio telemetry boards uh, around them, um, and uh, whenever we can, you know, educational uh, and outreach type of um, activities in order to get as many people around the space industry to work towards the open source uh, way of doing things. All right. Well, I'm going to jump into the community part of this because it is an open project uh, in just a second. But before I do that, I always like to ask uh, someone that we're talking to. Um, maybe answer a question we didn't ask sometimes we don't hit a uh, topic that's of a particular importance or maybe uh, a, uh something that we sort of glossed over that may need something more in-depth spoken about it is there is there something we've missed about the project that you'd like to outline or is there something specific about the project you want to point out um i wouldn't necessarily say so apart from the fact that i'd like to emphasize as much as possible that it's super easy to set up a ground station super helpful to the rest of the community and a super fun activity for people to get into so the vibrant community a global one our, our channels are running 
24-7. Uh, basically, you can always find someone talking about, you know, reception from satellites and uh, optimizing the ground station and working towards a new solution and contributing code or just operating ground station. So I would just like to invite any any listener uh, of ours today uh, to, to come join us and create ground stations. And yeah, let's monitor space uh, the open way. <laughs> All right, so I was going to ask about community participation and what you want people to help you out with, and obviously developing code and and deploying ground stations are big ones. So uh, in order to do that, they need the information. So I know there's uh, Satnog's website. Um, I know there's the Pound Satnog's IRC channel on Freenode. So where where all can you get information about Satnog's? Where's Where's the central information that everybody needs to know to participate? So I would say four different uh, directions. So the first one, I would probably the most obvious one, satnox.org is the website. And then from there, there are pointers to the documentation, to the actual operations. Uh, so we have the wiki, so wiki.satnox.org, uh, which has, uh, you know, information on how to easily set up a ground station. And this is a work in progress. So uh, you can always need, uh, uh, you know, get more help uh, around documentation and especially for first uh, first comers uh, of the, around the project. Although right now we, I, I'm, I'm, <clears throat> I think that we we have like a, good reference first to start with setup that people can easily follow and just create a ground station as soon as, soon as possible. Um, and then they can expand on top of it. So that's the, the first one. The second one would be um, to um, visit uh, our um, IRC channel. Uh, and we also have a matrix connection to that. So matrix.org connection to, uh, you can use Riot in order to, to access it or directly on IRC. That's Pound, Satnox and Freenode. Um, which is super vibrant, like an active community uh, working in, in, in there and exchanging ideas uh, on how to improve the Satnox uh, as as an ecosystem. Uh, the third one would be our community forums. Uh, so we have a Discourse installation, uh, which is community.libre.space. Um, and that has a Satnox subsection, which is super active with people asking questions, um, you know, kind of like asynchronously uh, compared to the uh, Pound uh, Satnox IRC channel. Uh, so that's an active channel too. Um, and then finally, I would say um, meetups and uh, uh, local things that are happening in, in some places around the world. We have like local hacking spaces having meetups uh, or uh, local uh, radio amateur groups um, just meeting and creating a Satnox uh, station. So reach out to your local group. There might be other people willing to or already have a, a ground station. And you can always check on network.satnox.org to check if there are na- neighboring, uh, you know, nearby ground stations around you or from people you might know. So, uh, yeah, that's that would be the fourth one. <laughs> All right. I know you have some social media presence. You're on Twitter for sure. Are there any others? And where are your? Where's the code hosted at? Yeah. So all the code for Satnox is on GitLab. So GitLab.com/slash/LibrespaceFoundation/slash/Satnox. Uh, on Slash Space Foundation, you can find uh, pretty much everything we do. But if you just, you know, on your favorite search engine, uh, say GitLab and Satnox, you'll end up to the right thing. Um, that's for the code side of things. And you also asked for the, sorry, I forgot that. Social, social media. Oh, like yeah, Twitter for the social stuff. That's- so that would be Facebook, Twitter, uh, and those both have Satnox and Space Foundation. So four accounts total, if you like. All right, fantastic. I think we've 
covered a lot of information here. Is there anybody on the project you want to uh, mention or maybe mention everybody on the project? I don't know. Um, Way too many people. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, So we didn't really talk about you that much. We did talk about your involvement in the project itself. So maybe tell us a little bit about yourself, like what your background is, where you came from. This, this probably should have been at the beginning, but we'll, we'll wrap up with it. (laughs) So, um, yeah, so I started uh, working in and uh, out of a different um, open source project back in high school, basically. Uh, then I, I went uh, for architectural engineer um, uh, in my university studies. Um, but uh, since uh, day one that I've been working at open source, I knew that uh, that was what I wanted to do, basically. Um, so, yeah, initially on the Fedora project, uh, then uh, GNOME, um, various different smaller uh, or bigger open source projects, uh, and then finally landed uh, on Mozilla um, and been a contributor for a couple of years and then a full-time employee of Mozilla uh, up until now, actually. Um, that's my full-time job. Um, and um, yeah, so that has been the, the story so far. On Mozilla, I've been doing um, community management early on, then engineering management on some of the community projects that we're doing. And uh, recently, I'm the, um, on the open innovation team, the open source strategist uh, uh, for the open innovation team of Mozilla. All right, fantastic. Well, that is a lot to digest, and I'm sure we're going to probably revisit the Satnox project in a little while to see how you guys are doing, what advancements you've made. Uh, whether sure. the automatic control and, and, uh, you know, that, that part of, uh, your project has come to fruition and see where you're going on the transmit side of everything as well. Um, that would be awesome. Yeah. It'd be nice to see, uh, how, how it advances over, over time. And I, I know the project is, uh, rapidly advancing and there's a lot of active development in it. So, uh, we're looking forward to see how it, uh, progresses in the future, but. With that, I think we're going to try and wrap this up here, and I would like to say a uh, very hearty thank you for uh, spending some time with us and telling us about Satnox. Thank you for having us. That, uh, that has been a pleasure. Yeah, and I'd also like to thank, uh, I guess, uh, Corey Shields joined us in the chat room there, just kind of giving us some links and stuff like that as well. So uh, just want to mention that team member who popped in. Corey is a core team member and a longtime contributor since the super early days of uh, the foundation and uh, Satnox um, and our primary U.S. Uh, point of contact. Oh, great. Great. Well, thank, thanks for uh, joining us there in the chat room and uh, filling in some gaps there. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And whatever information got posted in there, we'll make sure to copy into the show notes uh, so people have their relevant links and information for sure. All right. I guess with that, uh, we do have a couple of bits of uh, feedback that we're going to get to here. And uh, you're welcome to stay for that, uh, Pieros, if you want to. But other than that, I think we can consider your portion of this wrapped up. We can let you go on with the rest of your afternoon or uh, evening at this point, if you like. <laughs> thanks. Uh, thanks again for having us. And uh, yep, yeah, um, um, thanks for the great podcast that you have. Uh, we're huge fans. Oh, oh great thanks <laughs> are you fans of like as of today or <laughs> oh, oh no 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 just uh early on on the radio amateur like especially for all of us like uh we just felt you know like there's no one uh around you know talking about linux and you know radio amateurism so uh for us it was a, a great relief to see that uh this was happening and so thanks for, for keeping the, that flame open for us all right good now we have incentive to actually do more episodes so thank you for that <laughs> 
Yeah, we were going to quit until we heard this today. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we were all totally working on burnout. It was over. But. <laughs> all right. Thanks again, Pieros. Uh, SV1, let's see, when it was SQE, did I? I've, I've left my notes. QV, <laughs> that's right. SV1 QVE. So <laughs> do you actually do any uh, amateur radio work? Are you on the HF bands at all? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> since the FDA. <laughs> so look so look look for pieros on ft8 then (laughs) (laughs) all right thanks once again we really appreciate it see you guys all right take care all right so we'll we'll quickly run down these couple bits of feedback that we've got and we'll call 259 uh over and done (laughs) uh We got a post on Google Plus from Rick, and the reason he posted on Google Plus is because it's a post about Google Plus. Uh, he <laughs> says, with Google Plus in its final phase, are you moving to another community other than Facebag? For example, the Radar Group moved to Groups.io. Uh, we have not considered what to do in the uh, impending doom of Google Plus. Um, we don't have any place to uh, to move people except for Discord. We would like to definitely encourage people to to switch over to discord and start using that. Uh, I think we're trying to focus on that as a primary communication platform and that integrates nicely with the IRC. So it's a good place for everybody to come together, whether we start a uh, groups.io or some other kind of mailing list or a wiki integration thing we haven't really talked about. So I don't know where we're going to go from there. Yeah, still a work in progress. I, uh, <laughs> I, I'm still trying to decide the value on, on, on doing that and, uh, whether we should just, you know, augment our existing mailing list with, uh, groups IO or, or, uh, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. It might be, it might be nice in a way to use groups.io and leverage their back end for handling the mailing list. So I don't have to maintain it myself, but we already have an established mailing list. So I don't know yet. We'll, we'll get there someday. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Give us more feedback on uh, what you would like to see, and then uh, we'll we'll try to make a decision based upon that, and uh, we'll go from there. That will work. And uh, we also had a comment on episode number two hundred fifty three from Dan KB six NU, and he says, uh, "Great episode on JSA call. As for JSA call being slow, I don't remember calling JSA slow. I guess I I did say that um, because because <laughs> of the uh, sort of chunkiness of the communication." Um, but he says it's about the same speed as a slow CWQSO uh, with the judicious use of abbreviations and Q signals. Two ops can conduct a decent QSO. Uh, as for JSA call taking over the way FT8 has, I'm afraid that I'm not so positive about that. I think one of the attractions of FT8 is that you don't have to actually talk to anyone. <laughs> that's kind of <laughs> kind of crazy to me, he says, but that's the way things are going. And we did touch yeah. on that back on episode, whatever it was, 256, I think, a little bit. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, maybe so. I, I actually kind of enjoy JSA call um, more than FT8 because I FTA call almost seems like a waste of time to me. Yes, you're making contacts, but it's literally just making contacts. It's, it's like uh, day-to-day contesting. It's like... <laughs> Yeah, well, that's, that's kind of like the way, uh, the way, uh, you know, VHF, UHF and, uh, you know, those kind of band openings. That's the way you used to treat them on CW and voice. You know, you got the opening and then all of a sudden you're just, you know, five nine, you know, DN 55, get out of here. Five nine, DN 55, <laughs> right. five nine, DN 55, you know, get as many grid squares as possible. 
Um, you know, and if you listen to satellites, uh, it's basically the same thing. You know, the very rarely do you actually see people rag you on the satellite pass unless it's a, you know, unless it's a planned rag you or they're, you know, you know, obviously right. you know, tight community there in the satellite, uh, satellite community. So they'll, they'll have some chit chat real quick, but, uh, yeah, normally is uh, <laughs> it's kind of like the way it is. Uh, the digital is just another extension of those uh, short Q shows that at least some of the communities already had for for years and years and years. And I know Dan likes to troll around on thirty meters, <laughs> so he's looking for longer Q shows. But uh, if you've done a lot of VHF and UHF work, um, you know six meters and up. Uh, you, you know you've already <laughs> you've already been around the uh, the short CW Q shows that are. Uh, you know, bar- barely passable as a <laughs> right as a valid Q. So, <laughs> yeah, that's okay. FDA is still going strong, and I hope JSA call sort of comes up in the in the universe because it's actually kind of a fun mode if you if you get into it. All right, so yeah, it's not bad. All right, we're gonna wrap this one up. This has been episode number two hundred and fifty nine, and we really like to thank the Satnogs guys for all of the things they do, their project, um, and it's it's really coming up in the world, and specifically for PROS SB one QVE for spending some time with us today to tell us all about it. So with that, let's get out of here. I'm Russ K five TUX. Cheryl is uh, on assignment, meaning she's probably asleep, and uh, then there's the other guy. And I'm Bill, any 4 rd 73. Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the program by visiting the LHS Patreon page of patreon.com stroke LHS podcast or using the contribute link on the website. Get in touch via social media. The show has a presence on Google+, Facebook, Twitter, Discord and YouTube. Or you can drop an email to info at lhspodcast.info or record a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the IRC channel, LHS Podcast, on the Freenode IRC network. Also visit the online merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable LHS merchandise. Become an ambassador and represent LHS at a Linux convention or ham fest. Email ambassadors at lhspodcast.info or visit the website for details. The podcast is recorded live every Monday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. Connect to the stream at stream.blacksparrowmedia.net colon 8008 stroke LHS live. Until next time, over and out.
Linux in the Ham Shack in the Linux in the Ham Shack logo are released under a Creative Commons Attribute Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License.